From the campus of the University of Pennsylvania Wharton School, this is Career Talk on Business Radio. Here is your host, Dr. Don Graham. Welcome to Career Talk, your career insider. We are on Business Radio, and we are powered by the Wharton School, Sirius XM, Channel 111. Hey, if it is Thursday, noon Eastern time, we are taking your calls live right now at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So if you have a career question you've always wanted to ask, we would love to hear from you. 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. I'm the career director for the Wharton MBA for Executives Program here in Philadelphia. I am also a licensed psychologist and former corporate recruiter. We have the dream team, Dion and Michelle, in studio today to make everything sound perfect. We're very excited about the topic today because it is confidence. Now, who wouldn't want more of that? Today, we're going to be talking all about how you can get more confidence, how you can keep it, and what you can do in those moments when it seems to desert you. And usually that is when you need it the most. So to help us with that, we welcome guest Alyssa DeVere, Chief Confidence Officer, keynote speaker, and author of Kick-Ass Confidence, Own Your Brain, Up Your Game. With social and neuroscience research from the American Confidence Institute, Alyssa helps growth-minded individuals stand out, get heard, and have impact by giving them more control over their confidence. And who doesn't want more of that? Hey, welcome to the show, Alyssa. I'm so glad to be here. Thanks for having me, Don. Oh, yeah. So this is a great topic, and I was really excited to talk to you about this today because we've talked a little bit prior to the show, and I'm like, wow, there's so much great stuff out there on confidence that science-backed, and I think that's so key because a lot of times people come up with theories and ideas and try this. But, you know, once you get science involved, now we really need to start to pay attention. So one of the things I love in your bio is a line called, I truly believe confidence is career currency and the secret to a happier, successful life. Tell us what this means, Alyssa. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. It is my favorite line these days because I, I really believe and I think, it, you know, with all the people I talk to, everyone always shakes their head. You can be really smart, whether you, grow, you graduate from Wharton or Harvard or MIT, and I speak at all these different places, really smart people um, and really hardworking people, right? So great, but at the end of the day, what is really our key to persistence and attracting the right people and the right jobs in our lives and like attaining the things that we want that are our measures of success, it's the confidence factor, if you will, that allows us to do that. So, yeah, it is currency. It's kind of like the more confidence you have, not too much. We'll talk, I'm sure, at some point about overconfidence today. There's a line. Right, right. Can you have too much money, too much confidence? Absolutely. So, But needless to say, if you have this control of confidence and you really own it and you understand it, uh, yeah, our data and research shows that it, it's the key to everything. And, and then, of course, we're talking today about getting jobs and careers, you know, in an accelerated way. So absolutely. And if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Career Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. You can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Don Graham. And we are here with Alyssa DeVere, who is Chief Confidence Officer, keynote speaker and author of Kick-Ass Confidence, Own Your Brain and Up Your Game. We're taking our calls all hour long at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. So if you have any job search or career question, we want to hear from you. 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. If it's Thursday, noon Eastern time, 9 a.m. Pacific, we are live and Michelle is manning the phone. So, okay. So you're talking about, and this was another interesting line that I read um, in your bio is confidence isn't enough to cope or compete anymore because confidence is what gives us more focus, resilience, and attractiveness. And so, it, so I mean, this is exciting on the one hand, but on the other hand, it's like, oh, we've all worked really hard to, to get our degrees and to get all this job experience, and now it's not enough. Now it's not enough to have this confidence. Now we have to be confident on top of that. Man. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> uh, well, needless to say, let me ask you this, because you know confidence when you see it. Like, there's an implicit, visceral understanding. We all get that. We understand that confidence is a good thing, and we understand what it looks like. We understand even what it feels like. We know when we're feeling confident, and we can see when other people are. 
So in some ways, it's not that you have to do a lot of work, per se, to become more confident. You know, I, I call confident conditioning, but it's brain training, kind of awareness, and things that really don't make you sweat, so that's the good thing it's done. But don't you know, like, when you walk into a crowded room, or maybe you're on a subway or some other place where there's a bunch of strangers, you don't even know the people, don't you find that you can feel it and see it? Yeah, I, I, I definitely. And that's kind of why it's it's good to discuss it, because it is one of those things that you know it when you see it, you know it when you feel it. But but in order to raise it, I feel like you have to be able to measure it somehow. So how how can we, you know, make it tangible for people who are saying, well, I, I might have it or, I, I you know, or this I have it in certain situations. I mean, there are things where I'm like, yeah, I got this. And then there are, you know, the, 10 minutes later, I'm doing something else. And I'm like, wow, I'm just a mess. So it's not like it's it's not that you have it all the time everywhere right absolutely so let's do this let's debunk some of the myths around it great because i think that's a good place for people to to kind of get a benchmark and really a good definition and one of the myths is that you are not born with confidence it's not a dna marker it's not something in your genetics i hate to say this to folks because it's gonna be like darn but you can't even blame your parents Um, Right, because there's all this research now, um, books and and data from neuroscientists and psychologists and now geneticists, too, that say there's no such thing as a DNA DNA marker um, for confidence. And we do know in the neuroscience space that confidence is actually a thought. Now, when I say it's a thought, you know, because of your background, it's actually a meta-thought. So we make a decision about something, whatever it is. You know, I'm on the phone with Don and I'm doing this interview. I kind of know that in my head, but I can say it out loud because I'm confident that it's true. So it, it is something that I do maybe subconsciously. But when you said before, for example, that I'm not confident in certain things, you've made that decision in your head. So how do we then unwind that? Does that make sense? So wait, so let's back up for a second. So so we there's no DNA marker. So we are born with it. We're not born with it. We have to learn it somewhere. <laughs> like, like do, well, can we buy it online? Does Amazon yeah, sell it? Be awesome. yeah, like, <laughs> Is there an app for that? Amazon points, you know, uh, I want to buy some confidence. That would be great. In fact, um, there was a, a billboard one time on Newberry Street here in Boston where I'm based. And it literally was like confidence 20 bucks. I'm like, sign me up. Yeah, but, 20 bucks. That's a bargain. Yeah, it was a bargain. It turns out it was just a manicure. But you know what? Huh. Something like that can be confidence boosting, needless to say, if it's something that, you know, makes you feel good. So winding back to your question, no, you're not necessarily born with it. There's not somebody that literally comes out of the room and he or she is confident somebody is not. But with that said, we know from the data that we are all pretty much confident as children. Right. If you think back or you don't have kids, you, you know, you watch kids when they're young, they're kind of fearless. They, they start out in that. I'll wear anything. I don't care if it matches. I don't care what anybody says. Um, and they try things and, and we're a little bit uh, fearless, I guess, is the word I would use there. We also know that girls, surprisingly, are more confident than boys at a young age. Huh. Why is that? Well, we don't know exactly why, and again, we don't have data going back generations. So, you know, one of my questions is maybe it's the way we're bringing girls up now. I don't know. So how are they measuring this, Alyssa? Because this is interesting mm -hmm. to me as, as, you know, a psychologist. Like, so so we have it when we're younger because we're fearless, and I think most people can, can understand that because otherwise, you know, kids wouldn't be doing the crazy things kids do. But then, you know, at some point, boys have more than girls. How are they determining that? That's pretty interesting. Well, of course, it, it, uh, it's self-reported in a lot of the data sets. So when you literally ask around, you know, how do you feel on a scale of 1 to 10? Are you confident in these things? Are you confident overall? We can see patterns. And, of course, with the, the aggregate data, what becomes very interesting is we see a absolute drop-off with the population at about 16. So, in other words, girls start off higher and then they take a huge dip and we've done now survey data over age groups where unfortunately um, it doesn't really regain traction until you're about 55 60. Wow wow that's a lot of time to to lose your confidence. (laughs) Well and, and when I say you said lose I don't know if we necessarily lose confidence we just kind of fall into all kinds of social stuff Right? This is what the big business of coaches and even psychologists, right? You guys wrestle with how do people 
maintain their their confidence in light of all the social things that can happen in the world. And so we wrestle with that too. We, we literally get to a point where we're like, you know what? It's okay. I am who I am. I've done what I want to do and I'm good. Now, of course, this is aggregate data. And you know, that's dangerous to say to any one person, this is what you're going to be like. But that's kind of the trend. So the good news, bad news, again, is that if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, you know what? I'm not alone. This has happened to me and it's good. And you know what, there are times in your life, like you said, Don, that you're going to feel top of the mountain and really competent and, and confident about things that you're doing or you need to do. And then there's going to be times where it's not going to be so much. Well, and and for me, it seems like it's when I'm learning a new skill, for example. So, I mean, so we talked about competence and it's not enough, but it's like when you're learning a new skill, um, you know, you start comparing yourself to others who are better at it and, you know, you're not really sure of what you're doing yet. So, I mean, I think those are the places where, where confidence tends to drop off. But if you do have competence and you know it, then you tend to be more confident. So I'm, I'm, um, (laughs) no, no, I know it's kind of like, it's, it's hard to to wrap your head around, right? Let's, let's, Let's give a definition now. Let's go from a definition to explaining why it happens then when you have to learn something new. Okay? So the definition of confidence, and this is the Institute's definition, there are more definitions of confidence than there are literally Amazon products. But needless to say, we've uh, kind of aggregated a lot of them and really tested what we felt was the best one. And we have kind of two shades. The first shade is that confidence has to align with your values. Right? So when you're aligned with your values, when you know what's important to you and you are clear about that and you stick to those things, that's when you're the most confident. And then our shade of it is, well, that's great, but what happens when life kicks you? You know, something happens socially, maybe in your family, your health, whatever it might be, you have to, you're in transition. Hello, right? Like all of a sudden you're laid off. That's, that's a kick to your confidence. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Yep. So truly confident people and to really look at confidence from a sustainable perspective is really about maintaining, sustaining that confidence where you can be side railed, kick them, you know, off the track and then say, Ooh, gotta get back to center. So we're gonna allow everybody, ourselves, not to be confident in everything. We're not gonna be allow our, we're not gonna get upset when even in the things that we're confident about, we don't feel great from one minute to the next, because that's natural, that's normal. All right, so start with that kind of as like the pervasive definition. So it's like homeostasis. You have this level of confidence and you might, you know, there will be times when it kind of goes off the charts um, in good ways because you have a great performance or something good happens and there's times when you're going to go in the other direction because you get laid off or you had a bad interview or or something at work happens that's, that's not very positive. But the confidence is always there, just comes back to that kind of middle point. Hey, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Career Talk. We're here with Alyssa DeVere, and we're taking your calls all hour at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. And today we're talking all about confidence. So, I mean, there's so many places in the job search where confidence comes into play. I mean, if you're going for a promotion, if you're asking for a raise, if you're going on an interview, I mean, these are these are intangibles that people are judging you on. And as you said, Alyssa, like these are things that you really are difficult to define, but people know it when they see it. So, so I want to, we we're talking a little bit about myths of confidence. I want to bring one up that, that I personally subscribe <laughs> to, but I know you don't. So I, I thought this would be a good discussion, but the whole fake it till you make it. So I'm, I'm a big believer in this, but, but I know that, that this is something that um, maybe doesn't have the same opinion from you. No, I am completely opposite. I think it I is love absolutely not true. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so um, I'm going to put you in the hot seat. Awesome. You maybe to awesome. explain why you think it works and, and explain kind of what you, how you've achieved that stance. So I think, I think before, like anything, just because I'm a researcher at heart, you have to operationalize the definition of fake it till you make it. So when I say fake it till you make it, I'm not talking about faking a skill you don't have. So you're not going to walk into an operating room and say, well, never done surgery, but I'm going <laughs> to fake my way through this because that's, that's just not cool and it's dangerous. But I'm talking about the, the faking the confidence piece. So if I'm going into, for example, in an interview or I'm going into a situation where I've never done it or I'm nervous, um, you know, I think for me, 
the fake it part comes with the I can do this, you know, I'm new, it's not gonna be perfect and just kind of talking myself up and going in there and not freaking out. And that's kind of that's the fake it till till I make it, um, you know, thought that I have. So it's not faking a skill, but it's it's kind of faking a uh, belief about yourself. Okay, that's fair. I appreciate you um, clarifying. So here, here's kind of my take on that. You're not really faking the belief because the reality is this, is you're doing some self-talk to remind yourself you got this, right? And if you couldn't do it, if you, in your soul you say to yourself, oh, my God, I so can't do this job or I so can't do this interview or whatever it might be, there is nothing that you're going to self-talk yourself that your outside is not going to show. When we started this conversation where you can see it, you can absolutely see confidence and you can absolutely see lack of confidence. So reality is this, is that inside you're going, yeah, I can do it. Let's, let's, let's go to some real research. Let's talk about Amy Cuddy for a minute. Right? Mm-hmm. Power pose, Amy Cuddy. Power posing, right. And Amy Cuddy's whole premise was that based on certain ways that you stand or sit, fake it till you make it for that particular instance or instant included, it's going to help you fake it till you make it. Now, whether you agree with her research or not, because you know that it's highly contested right now, I tell people this. If it helps you feel good, just like that manicure I mentioned before, or if you, know, you need something to make yourself feel empowered, whatever it is, go do it. That's like self-talk. That's awesome. You're giving yourself juice and vitamins mentally. Do it. But here's the reality. If you walk into an interview... I don't care what you've done prior to preparation, and you don't have good eye contact, and you're not in control of your words, and you're not really in control and calm of your own being, you're sweating profusely, whatever it is, you can power pose yourself till tomorrow. It's not going to fake that interview. Interviewer out. And just for those of you listening, the power pose is done in the restroom privately before you walk into the interview, <laughs> right, not right. like when you walk into the interview. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I mean, yeah, why not? You know, and that's well, if you do it in the interview, then you're really confident. Then, there like, you go. Either that or you're, you're trying to audition for the next Underworld movie, but you know, it's all good. But you know what? Here's the thing, too. How many times in life can you do that? Right? You're in a meeting, and here's a perfect scenario, and don't don't tell me that this has never happened to you. And, Don, you're a smart woman like I am. I've done it myself. I've been the smartest, try to be the smartest person in the room. Like, I want people to be impressed that I'm so smart that I say something or kibosh somebody else. And everybody in that room knows that I've just done a bonehead thing. They know it. They won't say anything. So you're one-upping somebody. You're saying you walk into a room and you're one-upping. Yeah. Right. Now, that's not a fake it till you make it necessarily. That's really what we call an imposter. But the reality is this, again, people know it when they see it. They feel it. So if you're not genuinely confident, if you're not in control of yourself in that moment completely, inside and out. Now, here's, here's a fake it till you make a question for you. Ready? What if I feel really, really confident about a job and I walk in and I look like a mess? Like, my hair's all over, maybe I have a stain on my shirt, whatever. Well, you're not doing a really good job of faking it then. <laughs> okay. Okay. So, flip the question now. What if I walk in and I look fabulous, but every other word is, um, uh, ooh, uh. So, yeah. So, the same effect. You don't get the job. So, the fake it till you make it, the question becomes then, can you fake everything? No. You can't because it's a whole package. You've got to walk in with both inner and outer confidence in check. But here's the thing. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have everything in control. You don't necessarily have to be the best dressed, and you don't have to have perfect eye contact. But the more mindful you are of those things and the more kind of calm and cool, collected you are, that's what really conveys confidence. So let's talk about that. Um, let's talk about how you actually get confidence because if you can't fake it and i'd actually be interested to hear what listeners uh have to say on this topic 844 wharton that's 844-942-7866 so fake it till you make it has it worked for you has it not worked for you what do you think 844 wharton that's 844-942-7866 so okay so you dress up for there there are some external things you can do Alyssa. like like you said dressing up getting a manicure feeling good about the way you look 
um, eye contact and, and things of that nature. But if you're you're still feeling like, wow, I'm I'm terrified they're going to ask me a question about this and I don't know it. How do you get over that in an interview? Then how do you build confidence if if faking it till you make it isn't working? Two things, and they're pretty obvious, but and I don't want to sound pedantic. One is preparation, right? The more you put preparation into it, you know, you think about the kinds of questions you you almost rehearse. When I do career acceleration programs, we do half of the program is really just role playing and practicing. Uh, it, it really gets you kind of over your nerves. It's like we do a lot of work. And our research started with all the athletes. And you don't just step on a ball field one day and hit the ball, you know, out of the park. You practice like hell. So, you know, part of this is the preparation, is getting really good um, at being calm, you know, and, and taking things that um, are, in, <laughs> to extend my metaphor, come from left field, right? Like all of a sudden you get a question, you're like, oh, how are you going to deal with that? And yep. so the second part of that answer is not being afraid to say, hmm, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Or let me think about that for a minute. So, yeah, I want to pull the first one out and make it even more tangible. I want to say, like, if there's a question, maybe you got laid off, maybe you have um, something in your background you're nervous about, this can overtake the entire interview because you're worried, am I going to get asked that question? If I get asked, am I going to answer it right? So think about what, what one or two things are most bothering you about this interview. Maybe you're, you're making a career switch and you're concerned they're going to ask you about a skill you've not done. Whatever that, that thing is, because chances are when you go into an interview, of course you're nervous because you know you're being judged and you're kind of on stage, um, so to speak. But if there's one or two things that you're just, those are the things that are kind of blowing out of proportion, just solve them, prepare for them, have a, an answer, practice with somebody, figure out what you're going to say. And that way those don't kind of overtake the entire interview because they will come out. So I think that's that's something that people can do. And something I've seen very often, Alyssa, is that there's just this one question that they're dreading. And sometimes they never even get asked that question. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I think maybe also there's a subtle point here of don't get too wound up about things because the reality is everybody, not everybody, but almost everybody has had that kind of situation where they've been let laid off or there's some other uncomfortable spot that's that's you know it's normal but if you kind of almost have a sense of humor about it you say you know what they're they're probably going to ask me and when they do i can say to them you know i really was hoping you didn't answer that but i'm glad that you did you know you just start like that you're in a confident place because you've been humble and honest and you're almost saying well you know you're trying to get me i'm not gonna let you get me yeah, and I think um, another thing along that lines is if you are really nervous, I mean, and, and some some of us just are, it's just an interview, it's anxiety. I mean, I think it's okay to say, you know, I'm re- really excited about this company or this job, um, you know, so I'm a little bit nervous about this. Because once you say it, it's amazing how the power is is <laughs> just drained out of whatever that concern is. Well, you know, we could obviously talk about how to build good rapport in an in a interview to begin with, and I, I don't want to take our entire hour on that topic, but let's just spend a minute in terms of thinking about confidence on both sides of the table. So I, I do training, for example, with financial advisors and other people, mentors, and I always say, look, you have to manage your confidence and understand how confidence works in the brain and why people lack confidence, and there's some really simple reasons. However, you also should think about the fact that the person on the other side of the table is operating with the same set of human needs. So as an interviewer, like think about they don't want to fail. They don't want to hire the wrong person. They don't want to hire somebody that's going to be a, a bag of nerves every time they pass them along. So Part of that is building that rapport with the interviewer and being very, you know, like I I tell some of the people that I work with, tell the interviewer, I want you to make a good decision. As the interviewer, that's your job. So what can I do to make you feel more confident that I'm the right person? Mm -hmm. Hey, we're going to come back after the break with very concrete tips on how you can be more confident in interviews, if you're doing public speaking, which a lot of people hate, and 
a ton of other situations where confidence seems to escape you. So if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Career Talk. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We're here with Alyssa DeVere, who is a confidence coach, and she's going to share all her insider secrets. But first, we're going to go to the pre-break quiz. Quiz. There's a quiz? Okay, it's summer, and with summer comes bugs. So mosquitoes are 30% more likely to bite people who do this. Mosquitoes are 30% more likely to bite people who do this. Think you know? Give us a call at 844-WHARTON. That's 844-942-7866. You're listening to Career Talk on Sirius XM Channel 111. We'll be right back. You're listening to Career Talk on Business Radio, powered by the Wharton School. Here again is Dr. Don Brand. What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being confident? What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being? What's wrong with being confident? We're on Career Talk and DJ Dion is in the house. Hey, you're listening to SiriusXM Channel 111. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham, and we are here with Alyssa DeVere, who is the author of Kick-Ass Confidence, Own Your Brain, and Up Your Game. So, okay, so Alyssa, there's a, I, I definitely want to get to some concrete tips about how people can up their confidence, but um, here's something controversial that that you've uh, you've said, and I want to talk about this because this is an interesting one. Are people with confidence really more attractive? I love it. And you were, thank you for playing my anthem, Deanna. I love that song. <laughs> yeah, so I thank you for pulling that back. In fact, I had a conversation with a bunch of corporate people who got really hot and bothered when I said confident people are more attractive. And here's the thing. It's not the prettiest, most handsome, not even the best-dressed people that have that attractiveness. And attractiveness like magnetism, like charisma, uh, like presence, you know, use it in that context where, again, when you walk into a crowded room and there's all strangers, you just feel it, you see it. There is a magnetism to it. And, of course, people who are confident, you want to be around them. You want to be part of their world because confidence is infectious. It's something that brings everyone together and feeling like they belong, right, that they, they are part of something, that they're welcome, that they have this you know, shared kind of energy. So it's not hyper crazy that kind of energy. It's really that kind of energy that you say, oh, this makes me feel good. So if you can bring confidence into a room and maintain it, everybody wants to be part of that. If you go into an interview and you're confident, but again, I said something really controversial before Don, which is this overconfidence, right? Mm. So overconfidence, not, it's not the more confident you are, the more attractive you are, because there's at some point diminishing returns, I would guess. Absolutely. And as a Wharton alum, that was my favorite lesson was diminishing returns, because too much of a, of a good thing is not a good thing, right? So in this case, overconfidence isn't even too much confidence. What it is is a mask or an imposter, again, of somebody who is not confident, who's trying to, excuse me, fake it till they make it. Okay, okay. I'm going <laughs> to, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> so, okay, I think, I think just because you fake it till you make it is not necessarily going to come across as over-arrogant or, or just arrogant. I guess over-arrogant isn't even a word, but arrogant just because you're trying to fake it. Now, I get what you're saying. If you come into a room and you're like, you know, spouting off all kinds of things and it's not working against you. But I don't know. I think fake it to you make it is just different. Um, it's it's a belief that you can walk in the room and do something, not that you're going to walk in the room and, you know, do cartwheels and just try and show everybody up. Right. Well, OK, so. But let's be clear. I'm not suggesting that just because you're faking it till you make it that you're overconfident. The people that are cocky are overconfident. That's not confidence, and we know that too. We can smell that a mile away. So it is in a it is a form of their that person thinking that they're faking you out by being cocky. That they don't realize that it's showing up as lack of confidence. But let me let's throw, let me throw you another debunking myth because I think it gets at some of the heart of this. People often say to me, I'm an introvert. I will never be confident. And I was like, who defined introvertedness as lack of confidence? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I think you're right because I'm an introvert. And and I think that's the the challenge we're having with this show is that a lot of these terms we're using about about introversion and um, 
confidence and feeling and, and arrogance and what that is, they're all so intangible. And so it's 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 a very difficult thing to one, define, two, measure, and then three, increase or decrease because you can't measure it. So it is it's one of those things when you say, Oh, you know it when you see it. You know when somebody's overconfident. You know when somebody's not confident. But it's really, really difficult to to measure these things, which is why I want to get to the tangible sure. pieces of how to increase your confidence. And and then maybe just on your, your latest point, how to say, okay, how do I, how do you know how to gain that self-awareness to know if you're coming across as maybe overconfident? But before we do that, we are going to answer our pre-break quiz. So for those of you who are tuned in for the first half hour, here was the quiz. It's summer, and with summer comes bugs. Mosquitoes are 30% more likely to bite people who do this. So we're going to go to Lori in Georgia. Lori, what's your answer? Hi, I think pe- uh, mosquitoes like women, uh, people who wear perfume. So, Lori, that was actually Dion's answer, which by default... That's not just, a good sign just, yeah. for you. <laughs> <laughs> That's great mine. Yes. It's true. Um, that was not on the list of of, mm. uh, of answers, but it, it makes sense. But um, yeah, no, uh, mosquitoes are not necessarily attracted to perfume. But thank you for giving us a call, Lori. And we're going to go to Robert in North Carolina. Robert, so mosquitoes are 30% more likely to bite people who do this. Hey, I was going to say, I'm going to go with sweat slash perspire. So you are half right, Robert, but there's something that leads to that sweat slash perspire. So I'm going to give you a second chance because you're right. It is people who sweat. Remember, we're PG-13, Robert. Uh, uh, Oh, I don't even, I can't think of a good word for it, but I'm going to go with like moisture, humidity. So, So, okay. Hydrate. Uh, hydrate. <laughs> You're close, yeah. Michelle. You're close, Drink Michelle. Water. You're closer, Dion. That is hydrating, Dion. Well, you can hydrate with well, juice. Can you? <laughs> <laughs> it is something you drink. Coffee. Water. Nope, nope. Come Tea. on. Come on, Dion. Soda. Okay. Okay. I'm just going to I'm going to end this torture. We were not close at all, by the way. <laughs> no, no, well, it's something you drink. So, okay. So, when you drink beer, Oh. Yeah, which a lot of people do at outdoor, you know, barbecues and things of that nature. But it's interesting because, okay, mosquitoes are 30% more likely to bite people who drink beer because a single beer, and to your point, Robert, increases body temperature, which tends to cause us to sweat. So, yes, you, I think, I think Robert gets a ding. I think, I think he's right. There are a lot of other things that can cause you to sweat. And thank you for not sharing those on the air, Robert. We appreciate that. (laughs) Um, So, Interestingly, it's the the carbon, um, it's the the CO two that comes out of the beer that fizzles that is the first attractor. But then, of course, all mammals emit this, and this is what causes the mosquitoes to come bite you. And they can smell this from hundred feet away. Hundred feet away. Whoa. Um, other attractors: type O blood. Don't know why. That's weird. Pregnant women. Anything with yeast and dark clothing. So if you are out there getting your barbecue on, here are some of the things you want to avoid if you don't want to get bitten by a mosquito. Robert, thank you for giving us a call on Career Dog and Lori in Georgia. Thank you for your guess as well. Hey, we're taking your calls all hour at 844 Wharton. That's 844-942-7866. So we are here with Alyssa DeVere, who is Chief Confidence Officer and author of Kick-Ass Confidence, Own Your Brain and Up Your Game. So we are going to talk, Alyssa, about key tangible ways that you can increase your confidence well first off don't drink beer outside apparently well yeah, <laughs> you, you, you know confidently get bitten my god that's a good tip thank well, you well it is a good tip but i don't think people are going to let that stop them i mean <laughs> I, I think you, there's there's enough mosquito spray and everything else oh that, <laughs> yeah. that can solve that problem right so you know when it comes to confidence managing it, controlling it. People get a little itchy when I say controlling because I don't mean that in a negative way. It really is you taking control of your own confidence and that in itself is confident building. If you can 
follow that circle. circle right, of but logic, see, that's right? that's kind of where like it breaks apart for me because it's okay. like using the definition in the definition. Because yeah. I, I mean, trust me when I say I'm one of those people who am, would would buy it on Amazon if if they sold it. <laughs> um, because one thing that's very real, and this, you know, for people who are listening who are high achievers and you know tend to put themselves out there and do things that you know they, they suffer, and and I've been there too from things something called imposter syndrome. So it's this this fear you're going to be found out as a fraud even though you're competent in what you're doing. Yep. And so so I mean it's like okay how do you get over that? How do you convince yourself that wow, you know, no, I deserve to be here. Absolutely. So we break confidence conditioning into two pieces. There's inner confidence training and there's outer confidence training. Outer confidence training is a heck of a lot easier because it's simple things you can do, like, as we've mentioned, Amy Cuddy, stand up, sit up straight, because regardless of what your endocrinology is doing inside, you are conveying more confidence to other people. And that works. Can I say, like, that works. Like, even yes, there's a ton of research out there that says if you smile you will feel happier. <laughs> like like your body does this and your mind follows. It's pretty crazy. But I mean, literally, if you're not feeling happy, smile. And it just, Absolutely. it's crazy how your body right. is like, boom. You know, I mean, obviously, it's not going to solve all your problems. But I do think the power pose, standing up straight, doing the, you know, the Wonder Woman power pose, it makes a difference. You're, you're it's, it's incredible how the mind and body are connected that way. It is. And it, it really harkens to the fact that when you're mindful and you're taking control of things and you're doing things with deliberateness, you are self-talking or in a lot of ways actually stimulating your brain to say, hey, we can do this. So whether you're saying to yourself, I'm not an imposter and I can do this, or you're sitting up straight, or you're making a deliberate effort to make good eye contact, or you've gone before and you made sure that you look all good and you don't have any stains on. All those things basically stimulate your brain to say, you got this. And so if you were a professional athlete, for example, Don, and you were literally going to go and do your final dive in the Olympics, you would do things like that. Yes, um, but I think the fact that I was standing in front of a crowd in a bathing suit would totally reduce every level of confidence <laughs> that I had. So that's probably not the best example for me. Well, all right. Well, needless to say, you probably would be over it if you've trained your whole life. And the last thing in your brain was, oh, my God, I'm not as good as the rest of the Olympians. And that coach on the sideline now where we see at the Super Bowl and all the Olympics are working with those athletes to say, let's get, you know, let's get the emotional stuff out of your brain because you are good. You've trained, you've done this. Just like when you go into an interview, you know, I like to tell people, here's a really easy, tangible thing you can do. Get all the recommendations that you've had on LinkedIn or in your email, or at least just get a handful of them. If you don't have a handful or even you want to get some new ones, go ask three people to write three sentences about you. Put them in a folder. Grab a couple of photos where you were doing something that you were either really proud about or you really brought you joy. And put them in one place on your cell phone. Look at those things before you go into an interview. Remind yourself, you are awesome. And go and bring that through your pores. Don't let the mosquitoes know, but go and let the interview know that, you know what, I'm here, this is a job I can do, and I got this. Now, is it easier said than done? It is, but that's a heck of a good way of getting that brain to go, all right, we got this. Yeah, I agree with you. And I think one of the things that we often forget, I mean, the the reptilian brain, our brain was originally created to scan our environment for problems for things that might hinder our survival and that part of our brain is still alive and kicking and so since we're not going to potentially run into a lion around the corner and and, you know get killed what it does is it takes things that are seemingly um, a threat but those are things that we tend to put in our own head like wow I'm speaking in front of a group of 300 people this is scary this is a threat and it's really not it's our brain interpreting it that way and since our brain is designed that way we tend to unfortunately have a bias towards the negative so so those situations where we we screwed up those situations where we didn't do our best those tend to be in the forefront so I like your idea Alyssa because what you're doing is you're countering that that biology by saying, no, I'm going to put my focus on the positive. 
Yeah, well, let, let me don't. I don't want to lose any listeners. I'm, I want to talk a little neuroscience, but I'm going to do it really gently, because taking what you said, Don, a step further into the neuroscience space, when we have that fear, right? It it, it really does go into our autonomic part of our brain where our pulse goes and we start sweating. We, we are literally on autopilot in our brain because that's the part of the brain that's grabbing that fear and it is causing us to actually not think because our brains can't multiprocess. We know that scientifically. So what happens is all the good stuff in the front of our brains, the stuff that allows us to be logical, to be thoughtful, to be brilliant, doesn't work when we're in panic mode. So when you deliberately grab control, so I'm looking at my little confidence collection, we call it, of recommendations, or I'm self-talking, or I go into the bathroom and I do a power pose, I start to recognize the fact that I'm grabbing my thought center in the front and I'm keeping control of that so that the back of my brain, the brainstem where all that panic stuff lives, doesn't win. Yes. And, And the thing that triggers that fear, honestly, honestly, is a fear of not belonging, that somebody's not going to like you, the interviewer's not going to like you, the person looking at you on the diving board in your bathing suit is not going to like you, or that you're going to get into in front of a presentation, people are not going to like you. And that lack of belonging that goes all the way back to our good friend Maslow in 1940s, we knew this, that fear is what triggers that lack of control of the front of your brain. Well, yeah, and one way to solve that is <laughs> know this. Not everybody is going to like you, <laughs> period. Here. There you go. And once you know that, once you, you can say that, you're like, well, now I don't have to worry about anymore because not everybody will like me. And, no. and all of a sudden, it's not a big concern anymore because the people, right. your people, the people who are meant to be in your life, they will be attracted to you and they will like you. Not everybody will. And here's the deal. If everybody... <laughs> Uh, there's a joke I love. Not everybody will like you. You're not pizza. Oh. So you're not somebody who just drank beer in a field of mosquitoes. Yeah. That's the way it is. No. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry. Did you but but something no, no, something think along those lines it. to Alyssa. Why, why do you think we get more confident when we're sixty? Because by the time we're sixty, we really don't care as much what other people think. We realize about there's, there's nobody likes us by that point. <laughs> so um, another thing along those lines is to stop comparing. I mean, this is, I would, I would say that we could somehow shut this off in our brain, this comparison piece. We would all be so much happier is if we could just say, you know, I'm, I'm going to be me. And this is the, the kind of bane of our existence. We're like, oh, she's prettier. He's thinner. This person's better at this. This person's a better public speaker. I mean, this is what kind of destroys us. And what I want you to do if you're listening right now, whether you're going for an interview or you're going for a promotion or you're, it's, it's annual review time, focus on you. When you start to focus on everybody else, of course, of course, you're going to find somebody who's better than you. But of course, if you look, you're probably going to find somebody who's not as good as you. But it's not about that. It's about you being a better version of you than you were yesterday, not about anybody else. So, hey, if you're listening, you're listening to Career Talk. We are talking all about confidence and how to build it, how to keep it. Ah, and how to find it in those moments where you tend to lose it the most. 844-WHARTON, that's 844-942-7866. Something else that I think works, Alyssa, is complimenting others. So I think when you start to take the focus off of yourself um, and you you can kind of give somebody else a compliment, it's, it's, again, it's one of those things that, that the brain... Um, you know, can stop focusing on all of your faults or all your, you know, um, perceived inaccuracies or inadequacies, rather, um, when you can say, okay, I'm going to focus on somebody else. How, what do you think about that? Oh, my God. You and I are so on the same page. So I have a list of kickers, confidence kickers, and that's the top of the list because you know what? Confidence it's, kickers. It's I like kicker. it. Let's, let's go through this thing. list. Yeah, yeah. It's something you can do every day, any day right now. And complimenting, I, I say make somebody's day every day because it's a superpower that we all have. And when we invoke that superpower, we make somebody else feel really good. And reality is, we can do that. You remind yourself that you don't have to be a, a Superman or Wonder Woman, and you don't have to do anything special. As long as it's authentic, and you're deliberately doing it to make somebody happy, whether you believe in, you know, it's going to come back to you in divine ways, it doesn't matter. You have used a skill, a talent, a gift that we all have in a positive way. That just makes you feel good. Mm-hmm. Yep. And also taking compliments. I think we are very bad as a, as a general rule at taking compliments. I mean, I'm definitely one of those people who's like, 
you know, tries to go, oh, no, no, that was, no, that's not me. Thank you, but no. Um, and it's hard to take a compliment. It's hard because you feel a little bit arrogant when you're like, well, thank you. But that, well, but you really do need to learn why. to do that. Why do you feel arrogant when somebody says, Don, you're the best radio interview I ever had? Why is that hard to hear? <laughs> because I have this humble side that's like, well, one, that's not true. So I automatically go there that that can't possibly be true because I compare. I do exactly what I just said not to do. And I compare myself. I'm like, here are a handful of people who are who are better. But if I believe that and I've told you that in an authentic way, why is why is that hard to handle? You say, no, I'm not the best. How do you know? Maybe you're the best that I've ever had in my day today. Or maybe you're the best that I just feel you really got this and we had a good chemistry. I mean... Take it. Just take it. I'm going to take it, Alyssa. I'm going to take it. Thank you. Thank you very much. I I work really hard at being good at this radio show, so I'm going to take that. Thank you. But you're right. People do have a hard time with being, and now I'm going to get a little gender here, a little gender different, because there's a lot of characteristics that we've gone through that are very female associated. Um, One of the ones that drives me a little batty that, again, is not just for women, but it's very likely women do this more. I mean, they do do it more often than men is apologize all the time. Yes. Yes, we do. I'm sorry I'm late. I'm sorry this email is late. I'm sorry I have to cancel the meeting. You know, I kind of joke in my workshops and people like they kind of giggle. I said, you know, if a man typically has to cancel a meeting, the phone call goes like this. Don, I need to reschedule. If it's a woman, she calls up and she's like, Don, oh, my God, my kid just vomited in daycare. I got to go. Can we reschedule another day? I'm so sorry. It's, uh, right? This is whole story and litany and, and Yes, but this, this could be a completely another, a completely other show because <laughs> there's so many things. And I think this is obviously something that, that we're all working on changing. But, I mean, I think the gender differences – I mean, I, I found a stat when I was preparing for this show that um, – Males were more likely to apply for positions where they felt sixty per- they were sixty percent qualified for what was listed, whereas females wouldn't apply unless they felt they met a hundred percent of the qualifications. So, I mean, and this this research goes into asking for more money and you know all kinds of things. And you're right. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say we need to get better at. Standing our ground, being confident, and going in and, and not apologizing. And I read that that you know, yes, we should just drop that from our vocabulary when it comes to things like you're mentioning about about rescheduling and just skip and go to that. Hey, eight four four Wharton. That's eight four four nine four two seven eight six six. If you're just tuning in, you've got a question or comment about confidence. We want to hear it. I'm your host, Dr. Don Graham. We're here with Alyssa Devere, who has written the book Kick Ass confidence, own your brain, and up your game. And we were talking all about strategies to um, get your confidence up. But let's talk about, we talked a little bit earlier about, okay, how do you gain the self-awareness to know if you're overconfident, Alyssa? Oh, that's a good question, Don. I don't think anyone's asked me that. I think the reality is this, is that when you understand what overconfidence is and what it looks like and you're more self-aware, um, I've seen people, for example, I mentioned earlier one of my favorite overconfident moves or fake it to make it moves, which is smartest person in the room, right? Where you're sitting in a room and somebody, um, you, maybe you put out a statistic like you just did, and I, and I say, Don, no, it wasn't 60%, it was 62%, right? Just because I want people to think that I'm smarter and the reality is the room thinks I'm a, a little bit of a jerk, mm-hmm. right? So how does, how does somebody think I'm self-aware of that? Well, when I tell people that, and I think people on the phone today go, oh, crew, I've done that, I've seen that, all of a sudden, next time it happens, either they'll stop themselves or they'll at least acknowledge that the other person's doing that, and you kind of giggle inside and go, ooh, lack of confidence, that's what it is. That's what it is. If you are doing something because you're trying to make other people like you better in a very kind of, how do I put it, thoughtless way, you know, I want to be smarter. I want well, to be perceived. Confident better. people don't need to try and do that because they that's don't. Right. So that's that's kind of the kicker. So if you feel like you're going to say something or do something because you're trying to to get somebody else to like you or notice you, then chances are that's probably not going to be the next action you want to take. Think about when you were in high school. It, you know, the the hottest girl, the hottest boy is usually the one that is the least, you know, concerned about making everyone fly to them and it, it's almost that indifference and I, I, I like to talk about indifference because I don't think indifference is a good thing 
but there is a lack of caring, as you said before, about what other people think to a level that you adjust your own values and your behavior. Remember the definition at the beginning of confidence is, hey, this is who I am, and this is what I want to be. I'm not going to do it in a way that's going to hurt or offend anyone else. I'm not going to not be polite, but at the same time, this is who I am, and I'm very comfortable in that space. Those are the people that are the most attractive, the most confident, right? So they're not worried about all that other noise. Right. So um, one of the things that keeps coming up as a theme is this idea of, um, you know, it's kind of this belongingness. You talked about Maslow's hierarchy and, and things of that nature. And it's like you have to feel okay being rejected. There's a great book called Rejection Proof by Zhe Zhang. I don't know if you've ever read it. It's J-I-A. J-I-A-N-G for those of you who want to get it. But he also has a TED Talk. And, and his kind of premise is that he went out and said, I'm going to get rejected a hundred times and I'm just going to raise my bar on, um, you know, kind of those neurons in the brain so where it doesn't feel bad anymore. And that's exactly what he did. And it's a great way to practice going out there and um, kind of raising your self-esteem because it's like, okay, some people are going to reject me. And hey, not everybody's going to like me. And once you kind of let those things sink in a little bit, you're like, wow, you know what? This isn't so bad. <laughs> this isn't yeah, so bad. Yeah. Well, you know, I guess I would take almost a little bit of a different slant, too, because um, working with salespeople, I do a lot of work with entrepreneurs who are pitching to raise funding. Um, and then, of course, all the people that you and I talk to about career stuff, you know, whether they're in transition or they're trying to get to the next level. If you approach things, particularly those scenarios with the attitude of, I'm as good, if not better, than everyone else in this space. What I'm going to do, I'm really a good fit for what you're looking for. And if you don't like me, then there's somebody else that will. So let's just figure that out quickly. I think that is a really productive thing on both sides. So um, my brother-in-law, who's a salesperson, said to me, you know, the art of sales and the art of, you know, making a lot of money or success in that space is getting to know and know faster. Getting to know faster. Bam. <laughs> That's a great place to, to end things today. So, Alyssa, thank you so much for being on the show. How oh, can people pleasure. reach you? Oh, well, AmericanConfidenceInstitute.com or Kickass-Confidence.com, which is the book. I love having conversations about this. So please, folks, call me, email me. The information's on those websites. I look forward to it. And uh, do you have one final tip for our listeners who are looking to boost their confidence today, Alyssa? Absolutely. My best tip always is recognize tired. Because when you're tired, your brain is not fully gassed up. And no matter how you try and fake it till you make it or any of the tips we've talked today, Don, tired kiboshes confidence like no other. So it's like kryptonite to confidence. So when you're tired, you say, I'm tired. Maybe you don't go pushing those, you know, resumes out or something else because that will show your confidence shows, as we said. And when you're tired, it's like you're on half gas. On half gas. Well, thank you so much, Alyssa DeVere, who is the chief confidence officer and author of Kick-Ass Confidence, Own Your Brain and Up Your Game, who believes that confidence is the true career currency. So, hey, just as a wrap up, a couple of things you can do to boost your confidence. Stop comparing take compliments, give compliments. Hey, practice asking for things and getting rejected. Boost that muscle in your brain that can deal with it. And then, of course, anytime you look your best, you're going to be more confident. So I want to go ahead and thank Alyssa again and Michelle and Dion for running the show. And of course, all of our listeners and callers. Career Talk is all about you and we are live Every week on Thursday at noon Eastern time on Sirius XM channel 111 with several replays throughout the week. And it's also podcasted on iTunes in case you missed it. So thank you again for everybody for tuning in. You're listening to, to Career Talk on Sirius XM channel 111 and we'll see you next time.